All right, so let's jump into this thing. We are going to, uh, for the next number of weeks, we are going to be studying and look at, looking at the book of Romans. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you are not absolutely in a small group and you have your Romans you know, book that you're, you're going to be doing, grab one on your way out, even if you're not in a small group. Just stop and say, you know what? I don't want to go to church. I want to grow in the church. And I want to encourage you to do that, okay? Because that's what we're looking at. You know, somebody once said that uh, there's, there's three different ways that you're going to preach, okay? You're going to preach hospital sermons, sermons where people are hurting and they really feel like they're suffering inside. They've been through a lot. And so this series will be about seeing people grow in their healing. They say, um, you're going to preach army sermons. And these are sermons where we say, we can do this. We're going to build them all. We're going to take over Richmond. We're going to, and then it's that kind of a sermon. And then there's sermons where they call it an academic um, setting or a, a college sermons or, or, or uh, um, student type sermons. It's like, this is a sermon where we're going to spend time studying. Okay, so it's not going to feel so much like a sermon as is teaching. And sometimes it's just okay for us to stop and say, you know what, we are going to do some teaching. And that's what we're doing in the book of Romans. Not that we're not always looking to be doing teachings. More than anything, when we come in here, um, we don't come in for a Bible college experience. Believe it or not, that is not the role of the church. The role of the church is not to give you a Bible college experience on Sunday mornings um, in the course of your lifetime. The, the role of the church is to encourage, inspire you into a closer relationship to God and to be able to stand up here and say, as a result of reading this book, God is saying to me to share with our church this. So we gather together to worship God, to give him our sacrifice of praise, but then we gather together to be changed because God is speaking to us specifically. Again, Psalm 139, every day ordained for me was written down in your book before even one of them came to pass. And so we stop and we say, I'm here, not by accident, not by invitation, but by appointment. And if I'm here by appointment, then there's a good chance that God has something to say to me. And that's joyful because he's still talking to me. And from here, what needs to change? How shall I live? What will we do? So the purpose of going through the book of Romans is twofold. Increase your understanding, okay? Your understanding. Not just increase your knowledge, okay? Jesus kind of challenges the, the, uh, the Pharisees at one point. And he says they think that by their knowledge they have salvation. Knowledge does not give you um, salvation. It gives you knowledge, okay? It's what you do with that knowledge the understanding of it, how it applies to your life, that's important. That's number one. Number two is life change as a result of what you learn. There's no difference um, between not growing and changing. Oh, excuse me. The only difference between not growing and changing is going to be not even trying. Did I say that right, Lord? You have to decide that you are going to put some effort forward to say, I want to grow, and it's going to be important. No change actually equals no growth. Somebody once said that anything that is living, that has life in it, will constantly be changing. On some level, it is changing. If I'm not changing, something's wrong. Now, as we go through this, I want you to remember this. Well, I think, well, I feel those two statements are the death of scriptural study. Because what that says is, I'm making the Bible fit my circumstance, I'm not changing my life to fit the Bible. And our call is to change our lives 
to fit the call of Jesus, not to change Jesus um, to fit our lives. So we're going to say around here, what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? Because when I meet Jesus, he's not going to ask me if he got it right. He's not. He's not going to say, hey, did you think I did okay with that? He's going to say, I wrote it down, even if it sounds ridiculous. I wrote it down. Why didn't you do it, Joe? Why didn't you do it? And I'm going to have to face that. So um, I'm going to challenge you over the next couple of weeks and month. Um, I want you to grab a hold of one of these. If you've got one at home, chances are you really do um, somewhere. Okay? This thing you've heard me say before is a Bible. It's got printed paper on it. Um, the newest generation, they're not millennials, but we throw that term around like everybody's a millennial, and they're not. But the newest generation is actually turning away from digital and going back to paper. They want a page to turn. Um, not, I don't know if it's antiquated or cool or whatever, but they want a page to turn. And so I'm just encouraging you, okay? Get yourself one of these things or go find it, get it out, and actually read it. Now, I want to encourage you to read it through the first time straight through. Just read all 16 chapters. 16 chapters. Are you? It was written as a letter. It was written as a letter. When was the last time somebody wrote you a letter, you read the first page and said, I'm going to do the rest tomorrow? You don't do that, right? You open it up and say, hey, let me, let me read this letter. It's from somebody who loves me. And so there we are. So let's start by reading Romans 1, 1 through 17. Paul, comma, I'm not going to read every grammar um, in here, but let me just throw that in there. Paul, comma, now you know who's writing it, right? Paul, comma, that's not his last name. But Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son as to his human nature who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith, and you also are amongst those who are called to belong to, uh, to Jesus Christ. And he says, now, this is who he's writing to. To all who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I want to thank my God. Um, through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness. How constantly I remi uh, remember you in my prayers at all times. And I will pray that now, at last, by God's will, that uh, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might make, have a harvest among you, just as I have uh, among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, 
then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So here's the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. As we enter into this thing, we've got this, uh, this intro. Paul R. always opens up his uh, letters with an intro, and he wants you to know right off the bat who it is. Paul, comma, an apostle. Paul, comma, called by God. Paul, comma, not the least amongst the apostles and no less than these super apostles that are out there, okay? And so Paul is writing to the church that is going on in Rome. And so historically, we stop and we ask ourselves, who is Paul? Give it to you in a nutshell. Paul was a Jew amongst all the Jews. He was the guy, the poster child. He was the one that everybody wanted to be. He was a disciple of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the Billy Graham of the day, back in the day. He's somebody that you would want to study under if you were a Jew. So as a disciple of Gamaliel, he was the man, okay? As a person, he was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. And so he could trace his lineage back. That's all he's saying is, I can trace my lineage back to Benjamin. And so this is, this is who I am. He says, um, as a Jew, he kept the law, 613 commandments, faultlessly. He was the Jew's Jew. Not only did he consider himself the best of all the Pharisees, he considered his example to be better than anybody's. As a Pharisee, he considered himself better than his peers. As far as persecuting the church that was growing, there was no rival, he said. He could kill people and put them in jail better than anybody else. He met Jesus on the road as he was going to imprison and kill more Christians. He wrote 14 out of 27 of the books of the New Testament that you read when you do open up that, that Bible, and that's who Paul is. His life was changed dramatically. He takes three missionary journeys where he plants churches through evangelism, visits and revisits the church plants, writes letters to the churches, weighing in on their issues, brings Luke and um, uh, Timothy on as partners in the ministry, installs Titus and Timothy as pastors, gets beaten half to death, gets stoned and hauled outside the city and left for dead multiple times. He heals people in the name of Jesus. He raises a guy from dead that he also killed by preaching for too long. Okay, you can read that story in the book of Acts. I've never, you know, thought about it that way, but he just, he preached so long, he killed the poor kid. Actually, he bored him to death and he fell out of a window and broke his neck or, or whatever it was. But he healed that, that young man named Eutychus. All right, he um, has uh, to defend himself over and over and over again to religious leaders that he used to rub shoulders with. And he gets hauled up before the disciples, including um, um, Jesus's brother, James, and gets presented by a man named Barnabas, and that's, that's absolutely crazy. And all of this, in the midst of all of this, the only desire as a Christian Jew, or Jewish Christian, excuse me, was that he wanted to preach the gospel to the emperor himself. He wanted to go to Rome. And you heard him say, brothers, you've heard how I have longed and longed and longed, but I can't come. So I'm writing this letter because I can't come. But I want you to know that the day is coming when the Spirit's going to make a way. And so here it is. And so he's writing this letter to a people that he has not met yet, a people that he promises he will come see. And so he writes them a letter until such a time as he can. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts, you will see that he puts himself in a position where he says, no, I want to go before Caesar and make my petition there. And so he gets hauled before Caesar um, toward the uh, end of his days, and that's it. Now, 
There's a couple of things that we want to grab a hold of here before we get to like the stuff I want to leave with you. Paul says that he is an apostle. Now, I don't know what you've heard about apostleship. I don't know what you've heard about, but we have anything from there's no more apostles ever again all the way up to apostles are the guys that can do magic and supernatural and super spiritual and very powerful things. And so if you can't do that, you're not an apostle. I've heard people say um, the apostleship died with Paul, and I've heard people say every church has to have an apostle if it's going to be um, a, a, a viable and a real church of Jesus Christ. The crazy part is um, what I've heard from the side that says you have to be able to do this power and you have to be able to do this is that I'm more um, spiritually um, grand than anybody else. I actually challenged a person one time that um, he, he said, well, I'm an apostle. And I said, well, what does that mean? Um, and he said, well, it means that the, spirit, the power of the Spirit of the Holy Spirit um, resides inside of me, and I have power, and da 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 and he went on. And, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, so what you're telling me is you're more spiritually elite than anybody else in this building. And he said, no, no, yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, my conversation was over right there. We were done. You know what? The, the, the ground, the ground at the foot of the cross, I believe, is dead level. I don't know why Paul never preached about that. It might have been heaped up a little bit to hold that cross in the ground. But I'm just telling you right now, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. There are no less than in the kingdom of heaven. You either have Jesus or you don't. You have the Holy Spirit or you don't. There is no I am better than. Have you ever seen the term uh, missionary in a transliterated Bible? And some of you are like, oh, no, I want to know what a transliterated Bible is, but I'm afraid to ask him because it takes him so long to tell us. Uh, we'll fall over dead, and then he'll have to raise us from the dead. It's like... A transliterated Bible is when somebody takes the manuscript and the only thing that they put in the pages is the exact words. It, they don't put the ands and the thes and the things like that, the ises. They don't put them in there if they're not there. Translators have done that to make it make sense when you're going from one language to another because sometimes there's no words. So a transliteration if you grab it and open it, it tells you exactly what the words are, and it's absolutely wonderful to see. If you read a transliterated Bible, you won't see the word missionary. And yet, the word apostle means sent out one. Missionary. It doesn't mean they're better than anybody. It doesn't mean they're, people will say, oh, but he gave some to be uh, pastors and some to be apostles. Sure he did, because some of you in here are called to be missionaries, to be sent out from this church. Yes, you should be filled with the Holy Spirit, absolutely. Do I think you should automatically have to speak in tongues? No. No, it's a gift of the Spirit. The Spirit gives the gifts in accordance with what he believes should take place. If we need to heal somebody, the power to heal somebody will be there according to the Word. The question is, will you be available to wield it? Will you be obedient to walk up to that person and say, can I pray for you? And so I do not believe that an apostle, other than, and remember this, I, I do want you to hang your hat on this. When they, when they chose another apostle, it had to be somebody who was with Jesus from the beginning. Okay? Because he had to be able to testify 
as to what had happened and what was going on in that particular situation. But Paul was not with them from the beginning, was he? Paul wasn't with them from day one. He wasn't there at Jesus' baptism. But he did meet Jesus personally on the road to Damascus. He did. And I pray that you have met Jesus personally. The straight up, plain, honest reading of the Greek word apostolo means somebody that is sent out from the group to share, to preach, to have the, 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 the preaching evidenced by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sure, probably. But the main point is be a missionary. And Paul considered himself a missionary. And he considered himself one of the special, if I can even go that far. Okay? In Mark chapter 3, the scripture says that Jesus appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and they have authority to drive out demons. So they had been with Jesus, they went to preach the gospel, they were sent out, and they had authority. Same authority that Jesus gave us when he left. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I, he gave it to us at the end of the book of Matthew. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability that everybody I lay my hands on um, may receive the Holy Spirit. See, because the disciples were, were laying their hands on people, and people were, were showing evidences of, of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just that they were saved. There was evidences of the Holy Spirit. So when people say it ended with the disciples, that's not what this Scripture says. This Scripture says that people that they laid their hands on received the same thing that they had so much so that when Simon saw how it worked he thought he could capitalize on it and maybe franchise this baby which in my opinion is pretty much the sin of the church today we're trying to capitalize and franchise this thing when it was just given to us as a free gift Simon was astonished at the great signs and the wonders that he saw um, with the laying on, that came with the laying on of hands, the impartation of the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. He says, I'm an apostle of the gospel. When we say gospel, what do you think of? You think of your whole Bible? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you were sitting down with a coworker and they were saying, so you go to church, so you talk about this Jesus, and you're sitting across from them, you got your fries, you know, maybe they got their kale salad, you feel a little guilty, but the fries taste better, okay? Thank goodness science has come out and said kale is bad for you. Um, it'll hurt your liver if you keep eating it the way these dietary people are eating it or these, you know, diet fanatics. Um, and they say, what did Jesus do? Well, he was born, he came, yeah, yeah, but what is this gospel? What would you say is this gospel? Straight up, we have to say the word in its truest sense is good news. Okay, I'm, I'm there. Let's stop using the phrase gospel. Let's capitalize good and say what is the good news? Since we're translating stuff, the, the Greek word is gospel. The English word is good news. What's the good news? What is the deal? And I love this in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus went into Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom, okay? Even he did not roll over and say, I don't want to go to synagogue today. He got up and went to synagogue, okay? 
as was his custom, and he stood up and he read um, from the scroll. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place. He was very intentional where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news, the gospel. He has anointed me to proclaim the gospel to the poor, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner. Okay, so number one, the gospel is freedom. Freedom! I mean, where's the worship team? Come back out here. Let's, I mean, let's do this. Okay, no. But it's, it's, first of all, it's freedom. The good news is freedom for the prisoner. Recovery of sight for the blind. Now listen, hold on. These are not metaphors. This is what Jesus came to do. Set the captive free. Open the eyes of the blind. Now, my personal cynical flesh wants to say, yes, he wants to help us to realize that, uh, as a matter of fact, um, we are spiritual beings as well as physical beings, and therefore he's opening our eyes to our sinful humanity. And No, no, no. How many times did Jesus go and heal people's blind, closed eyes? <laughs> he came to physically heal them. I don't know. I don't know. Some of you are asking in your heart, then why doesn't he do it today? I don't know. But I do know it happens because I was there when it happened in Zimbabwe. When an 80-year-old man came in because his leg was broken, crooked, and needed surgery, and he came in with a white cane with a red tip while we were praying for somebody else, and he sat down, and the other team started play, praying for him, and he started screaming and crying while we were praying for somebody to surrender their life to Jesus. The other team was praying for his eyes, not his leg, and he started screaming and crying, and the nursing staff came over because they thought we were hurting him. And we said, what's up? And they said, this is a blind man. He comes in here. We've been working, trying to get his leg straightened out, but he's blind. And he said, no, I can see and I said, no, you can't. How many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> he said, three. I said, how am I, am I holding up now? He said, three. Cynical Joe said, yeah. The nurse said, what color was that man? Or no, no, what color was that person? He was white. Look, there's a white lady over there. Look, there's one, two, three. He started telling us exactly what we all could see as normal. He came in there to get his leg fixed. He left seeing. You want to get close to Jesus, get close to the poor. You want to get close to Jesus, get close to the brokenhearted. You want to see God move in powerful ways, make yourself available. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I love that, and I don't think Jesus was smug, but I just, I just in my mind, Jesus with great satisfaction rolled that scroll up like this. Not that he would have, because it cost too much to make. But rolled that baby up, handed it back, and said, and today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your life. Thank you very much for letting me read, and sat down. That's the way I see it happening. <sighs> Anybody? Questions? 
That's the way I see Jesus ending that whole thing. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And you can just see everybody going, what's he going to do? What is about to happen? And he launched his ministry. And he did exactly what he read his whole ministry. He came to give good news to the poor in a world where things are escalating out of control. Matthew 24, Matthew 25 says it's not going to get better. And Matthew 24, Matthew 25 is not a metaphor. Bad things happening on the earth is not the definition of the word hell. People will lie to you and say all hell means is there's not really a place called hell. All it means is that things are going to get worse and bad and awful. And that heaven is not really a place. Listen to me. Heaven is a real place because Jesus said so. Heaven is a real place because, excuse me, hell is a real place because Jesus said so. Because he said so. And he began to share this scripture with us right here. Matthew 24 and 25 shows us how it's going to unfold. And you and I need hope. We live in a world that needs you to share hope with them, not in a cliche way, but in a very, very real way. So Jesus came to restore uh, us to God as children. Jesus came to set people free from demonic oppression, addictions, and bondage to themselves. Jesus came to heal the blind, metaphorically, but definitely physically. Jesus came to love on the oppressed, the poor, the marginalized, the downtrodden, the people that get walked over and kicked to the curb or left out. That's who Jesus came for. You want to get close to God, stop trying to be popular. You want to get close to God, stop trying to be cool. Just live your life to its fullest and enjoy it and invite everybody that you can to come along. Jesus said, freedom for the prisoners because of our desires, our hearts, and our minds. They put us in bondage all the time. They have become, it says in the book of Romans, later on in the same chapter, filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice and they're gossips and they're slanderers and they're God-haters and they're insolent and they're arrogant and they're boastful and they invent ways of doing evil and they disobey their parents. how'd that get in there man I was winding up for some good stuff and all of a sudden he throws disobeying your parents in with you know God haters it's like seriously (laughs) yeah he did didn't he and God doesn't do anything accidentally and so we have to pay attention He says, these people have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they only continue to do these very things. They not only continue to do these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. It's one thing to allow people to sin and to not feel the need to say, listen, you have to stop that and and you got to do this and, and to try to give them rules and regulations. It's a whole other thing to say. God loves you, and I'm going to affirm what you're doing. That's what that's talking about. That judgment's reserved for that situation. We are not here to throw rocks, for God so loved the world. God's not mad, but he's calling us away from sin. So Jesus says he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. John 10.10 says the thief thief comes to only... Thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But I have come that you might have life and have it to its full. You've heard me say here, if you've been long enough, that I intend to die enjoying the life that Jesus gave me. I intend to have all the fun that morally I can have without crossing a sin line. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a blast. My goal is not to say, how close can I get to sin? Okay, sin is fun, or else people would not do it. But we're called to not do it. So my goal is not to see how close I can get. I'm not interested in how close. I don't care where the sin line is. I'm going to stay far enough away that I can have as much fun as I can so that when I die, God says, look at what he did with the life that I gave him. He squeezed the most joy he could out of it. But I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we hurt. Sometimes we have to go through pain and we don't know why and we probably won't till we see God. Sometimes. And so we keep putting one foot in front of the other. But sooner or later, we have to decide what's going to get our focus, our pain or our joy. Focusing on our joy does not mean ignoring our pain. It means not letting pain be our identity. That's all it means. Sometimes we have to press through things and we have to work through them. But the last word in there, I have come that they might have, it, have life and have it to its Full. That word full in the Greek, sorry to be throwing so much, I told you it's going to be more, you know, like, you know, school like, okay? Um, in the Greek, it's persisos. Excuse me, perisos. That's the actual, I, man, I just photocopied that sucker right out and put it up there. I did not manipulate it, I did not twist it, I did not do any hermeneutical calisthenics. That means I did not stretch the scripture, okay? It says the transliteration is perisos. The definition is is I have come that you might have life and have it abundant. Usage in the common everyday world that Paul lived in means more, greater, excessive, abundant, exceedingly, and vehemently. God came that you might have life to its fullness that is so full that it's vehemently full, it's violently full, it's joyfully full, it's I can't shut up full. I jumped off the bridge in Victoria Falls. You should have been there. Full. Live every moment full. Don't put yourself in bondage, but enjoy the work of your hands full. Enjoy the children that God gives you full. Enjoy the friends that God brings into your life full. Focus on the full. Focus on the abundantly. Focus on the, why not me, Lord? But it comes down to obedience. Because James said, you ask and you have not because you ask it amiss that it might be all about you. That you might just consume it upon yourself and get caught up in everything is for me. Ask God. If you being fathers on this earth, earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his children? Or in one, trend, or in one um, gospel account, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Ask. My wife gets nervous when I ask. We're moving, we're getting, <laughs> we're spending, we're, Joe, don't ask. Don't ask, because I know God's going to do it. God can say no to me. 
and he's still God. I am not health, wealth, and prosperity. I am in joy every minute of this life that God gave me because I only get one on this earth. And I want to say thank you when I see him. The enemy comes to steal your joy. God comes that you might have it abundantly. The power of the gospel over and over again has changed lives, healed relationships, supernatural manifestations of grace, love, and peace. Why do we think that God doesn't do this anymore? That's the power of the gospel. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he leads this crippled guy up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. He jumps to his feet. He begins walking. Um, he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God, and walking and jumping and leaping and jumping. Okay, you all maybe know the song from your days in church as a little child in the country. And when all the people saw it, they praised God. The power of God for supernatural activity. The way of the gospel is humility. Paul says, submit to one another. And stop throwing your weight around. Stop throwing your weight around at home. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5 starts out. People are, are quick to say, the Bible says, women submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It starts with submit to one another. That's where it starts. That's the way of the gospel. Humble yourself before the Lord. Jesus said, you know that the rulers and the Gentiles lorded over each other and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. The way of the gospel. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The power of the gospel is the Holy Spirit. And he's looking for available people that will get out of their comfort zone, do the ridiculous if necessary. go back just for a second. The way of the gospel is going to be humility. Humble yourself before the Lord and let him lift you up. But the cost of gospel is a bit of a dichotomy because it's free. The good news of Jesus Christ that you and I can be reunited to God who is our Father through the blood that was shed on your behalf when you are willing to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, then God's blood through His Son washes that sin away because it's paid the price. And so the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ is free, but it costs you everything. There's the dichotomy. It's free, but it costs you everything because God only only wants your heart. That's all he wants. Because he knows if he gets your heart, he gets it all. He gets your children. He gets your spouse. He gets your love of money. He gets your love of enjoying every minute of life. He gets your love of the sun coming up. He gets your love of the moon on a starry night that's clear. He gets your love of music. He gets your love of playing music. He gets your love of singing. He gets your love of people. If he just gets your heart, 
which is all this gospel costs you. He gets all of you. And the world gets changed because of it. And it starts with you. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. Jesus said, if anybody comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, and again, you need to understand that word hate. If he does not come to me and does not hate his father or mother, <clears throat> wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That phrase simply means to love less. You can't put your family above Jesus. You can't put your mom and your dad, your grandma and your grandpa. You cannot put your spouse above Jesus. You cannot put your job above Jesus and say, in my life, it's Jesus first. You can't do that. Jesus does not share the throne in anybody's life. It's only big enough for one, money or God. But you can't have both. What does it mean for you and I? When Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, what does it mean to be ashamed of the gospel? Not willing to tell others to make disciples, to give an invitation, to talk about Jesus. Not being available for God to use in somebody else's life for their benefit where you get nothing. Not willing to go all in with Jesus, but making your decision based on what rationally is best for your pocketbook or your personal desires. Not willing to live in love and forgiveness for the rest of your days, even when people don't deserve it. That's what it means to be ashamed. Doesn't mean you stand up and trash Jesus. Doesn't mean you denounce him. It means in your everyday life, he doesn't get to be first. And Jesus wants to be first. The book of Romans. You can't swim on top of this book. You cannot swim on top of these words because the message in the book of Romans will drag you under. But you've got to learn to breathe in the Holy Spirit so that we can wade these deep waters. And I pray to God that it begins to wreck your life. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to be upon us. We invite you to move. We invite you to have your way. Teach us, Lord, to live out. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power. It's the power I need to get up in the morning, God. It's the power I need to raise my children. It's the power I need to do my job. It's the power I need to love life when things are dark and dark thoughts come to my soul. It is the power. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come upon us right now. Some of us need Jesus, and it's past time. It's time that we lay a hold of this gospel, that God's not mad at us, but it's time for us to surrender. But God, you said you came to open the eyes of the blind, so we come to you for healing. You said you came to set the captive free. We need to be freed, God, from our bondages, from our sin, and from prison. You came, Lord, and we're waiting. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' holy name.